Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. A reading from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come. We give you thanks and praise for the gift of your word. And we pray that uh, in this moment, my words would be faithful to your word. Whatever's not of you, let it fall away. But where you are pleased to speak, let our hearts be open. Let us feel your stirring, know your call, and respond to your voice. We pray in Jesus' name, your word made flesh. Amen. So when I was in uh, seminary, uh, in preaching class, uh, once each semester, everybody had to preach, uh, which makes some sense, I think. And it was a decent-sized class, which meant that we were always preaching on the same day as two or three other people. And the catch is that we were all to preach on the same passage. Now, on paper, this seemed like a terrible idea. Uh, You know, we all had the same commentaries. We were all taking the same classes. Most of us were United Church kids, so there were kind of cultural and faith things that would have been familiar, which meant that the likelihood of having to sit through three sermons that were more or less exactly the same, and given that we were all new at it, a little rough around the edges, was was pretty high. 
Uh, it always threatened to be a very long class. You always wanted to go first to make sure that nobody took your brilliant idea before you got a chance to, to share it, right? But, you know, it never ceased to amaze me is that there were rarely two sermons that were all that similar. I mean, each person brought a different insight and angle as they studied and prayed. Different words and images stood out each one, as each one preached. Different tones of God's word were revealed. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the richness of Scripture, not our genius, that allowed for such diversity or even required it. If we'd all said the same thing, I think that would be evidence that we weren't really dealing with God and God's word, but we were regurgitating whatever the scholars had told us about the scriptures or had to say about God. And good scholarship is important. I mean, it can help us dig in. It can explain things that are hard to understand. In today's passage, the scholars can tell us who Jesse is, King David's dad, you heard Aaron say, uh, or what's going on around Isaiah as he preaches to God's people. They're constantly on edge, surrounded by enemies, always under threat of attack, always wrestling with, and with faithfulness. Or they can tell us interesting things about the semantics of Hebrew poetry and prophecy, all of which is very helpful information. But I think at the end of the day, we're not only collecting information. Right? We're, we're not only looking for explanations. We're called into relationship with the living God. We don't have to settle for just knowing about God. We get to know God with an intimacy that can sometimes be overwhelming. The scriptures tell us uh, not only that there is a God, but that this God, the maker of heaven and earth, wants to be known to us and even heaven help us through us. And it was this combination of diversity and intimacy that was really clear to me as I sat down with Isaiah this week. You know, first of all, there's about a million different things that could be said about this passage. You know, maybe a particular image stood out to you while, while Robin was reading, or, or, or maybe a question started to germinate. Like, is God really going to kill the wicked? I don't think. But maybe, maybe you felt a, a tug on a heartstring or two. Maybe you're distracted or worried or tired about, and today, and you just didn't hear much of anything at all. And that's all right. I mean, the beauty of Scripture is we can always go back and, and read it again. <laughs> and, and when we do, even if we heard something today, if we go back and read it again, it's probable that we'll hear and see something new, something fresh. We'll be drawn into a new mystery, a new hope. And when we hear the word well, the word will be personal. It will be intimate. We won't be reduced to generalities or spiritual principles, but we'll find ourselves in the thick of God's work and way, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because of that, what I want to share this morning, some of it is, is kind of personal. I hope it's not self-indulgent, but there's some things that I've been wrestling with these days. It has to do with what I think God is calling me as a Christian to in this time and place, what it means for me to be faithful here and now. And, and I do sometimes think that it's true that the best way to be universal is to be specific. <laughs> so, so maybe this will land for you. I hope so. So here we go. Uh, of all the things that could have stood out to me uh, this week, I, I can't get away from the phrase, the fear of the Lord. Now it's repeated twice, once at the end of verse 2, once at the beginning of verse 3. And scholars would tell us that in Hebrew, when things are repeated, they're particularly important. This is the poet's way, the prophet's way of saying, saying pay attention, highlight this, <laughs> get out your ruler and underline here. 
but, it, but it's an awkward and, and hard kind of phrase. And, and maybe worse, it's all over the scriptures, <laughs> right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the teacher of Proverbs tells us. The, the psalmist, as we just heard, says that the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The prophets are always going on about fear of the Lord. And it may seem kind of hard to square the fear of the Lord with the perfect love of God that St. John insists casts out all fear. And, you know, frankly, these days, I, I, think, I think the last thing we need is something else to be worried and afraid of. <laughs> You may recall that a couple weeks ago I mentioned that the, the Collins Dictionary word of the year is permacrisis, <laughs> the state of being in a constant state of upheaval, permacrisis. In the midst of all that's going on in the world, let alone our own lives, lots of us are looking for comfort, not conviction. The fear of the Lord doesn't feel like what we're after, doesn't feel like what I need, and, and yet I, Isaiah in the midst of the chaos and conflict of his own time, sees the promise of the one who will come not only wise in the fear of the Lord, but the one who delights in it. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, I don't, I don't like being scared. <laughs> I know there are some weirdos who like you know horror movies and, and bungee jumping and whatnot, but I'm not one of them. On the surface of things, it's hard for me to imagine delighting in fear, even the fear of the Lord. But Eugene Peterson helps me understand this a little better. He, he says that the fear of the Lord is, is, is a bounded phrase, a, a syntagm. You can drop that at the next Christmas party. S-Y-N-T-A-G-M. The, the words only work together. Uh, you can't parse them and come up with the sum total of fear plus of plus the plus Lord. <laughs> You know, instead of plus signs, we need hyphens. The fear of the Lord goes together. And he writes this. He says that the fear of the Lord is a fear that pulls us out of our preoccupation with ourselves, our feelings, our circumstances, and into a world of wonder. The fear of the Lord is the fear that pulls us out of our preoccupation with ourselves, our feelings, our circumstances, and into a world of wonder. Fear of the Lord is what happens when we come humbly and vulnerably into the presence of the God who made the heavens and the earth. It's what happens when we recognize that God is more than an accessory to the rest of our nicely ordered lives, but the one in whom we live and move and have our being. It's awe and wonder. It's beauty that takes our breath away. It's the unnerving reality that there is always more going on than we can ever fully grasp, more than we can ask or imagine. It's a stretch to say that Isaiah understood himself to be speaking about Jesus as the one to come, the shoot of Jesse, the hope of new life. But pretty well from the get-go, the church has read Isaiah and all the Hebrew scriptures through Jesus. It's not that the Hebrew scriptures don't have integrity on their own. Of course they do. But even Jesus himself had this habit of defining his work and life with reference to the scriptures he knew, which was the Hebrew scriptures. And Isaiah was his favorite. And for the church, the final authority of all scripture rests in the fact that it points to Jesus, that it's the word that points to the word made flesh, as John so beautifully puts it. And as I, I read Isaiah in the company of Jesus, I think it's quite a thing to know that the way of Jesus is the way of delighting in God's unsettling wonder, the way of delighting in God's disruptive glory, the way of delighting in God's overwhelming grace of God's cosmos-shaping power, 
His delight is in the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the abundantly, overwhelmingly far more of God. Isaiah compels me to know that the the way of Jesus is not the way of fitting God into whatever I want to do. It's to get caught up with the God who's already done more than I can imagine. Who's already been more faithful than I can ever hope to be. Whose word shaped the universe and is even now reshaping it into newness. It's to let myself not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but transformed for the way that things will be. Which means loosening my grip on some things and stepping into a fresh possibility, which means, which is some days I think a fearful proposition, right? I like my life as it is. (laughs) I've arranged it just so. But, But Isaiah, in the strange way of the Spirit, points me towards what Jesus says, that those who cling to their life will lose it. We just don't have the staying power. But whoever gives of their life for the sake of the kingdom will get more life than they could ever imagine. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. And that means letting go of control, letting go of certainty, letting go of expectations, letting go of my version of safety, all of which is entirely against my personality. But his delight is in the fear of the Lord. And his call is into that delight. Now, much as I struggle with fear of the Lord, I've always loved the image of the peaceable kingdom that's at the end of this passage. Uh, It's this beautiful vision of a promised future that's pulling us towards itself, the kind of world that God is working towards even now. It's this glorious possibility. But, you know, I, I think it's also kind of unsettling. It's beautiful, but it's unsettling because it defies our expectations and our understandings. It's especially unsettling if we allow this, not just animals and toddlers who are going to have their expectations and actions realigned and rearranged, but even we who have a pretty firm grasp on things are being called to live into a future that we can't easily imagine given the data around us. It's much easier to continue to navigate the world that we know than to let the Spirit lead us into deeper waters into a knowledge of the Lord that's as vast and untamable as the sea. I heard someone say recently that 90% of what the church does can be done without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Now, for me, some weeks that feels generous, which is not, of course, to say that the Holy Spirit is not at work and in what we do or in the church uh, or in what I do each day. Just that as often as not, we we could do it on our own. You know, I try to be prayerful and attentive to God's stirring, but I'm often cautious and practical. I don't arrange my days anticipating miracles. It's easy to sidestep the fear of the Lord. And to be fair, I'm not sure that God is always calling us to wild and woolly things. We can sometimes imagine that success in faith looks like success in the world. Sometimes what's just as fearful is simply the height and depth and length and width of God's love for us in Christ. That can make our heads spin. It's vertiginous. Sometimes what's unsettling is just to know the astonishing grace of God for you and for me, even for our enemies. To even begin to know that is staggering. On any given day, it's probably enough. 
And yet, the higher and deeper, the farther we go into that love, into that grace, into that mercy, the beauty and power, the more we allow the glory of God to have its way with our hearts and minds, the more astonishing the world is and the more abundantly we're called to live. This is what's catching my attention because I feel like, personally, I'm in a season of being called to a deeper trust a deeper freedom to let God do whatever God wants to do in me, in my life. In my own life, I'm feeling kind of called to a different gear is the image I've been working with, a a new fruitfulness, because I don't really like mechanical imagery. (laughs) I I wanna learn more and more what it is to delight in the fear of the Lord, to risk trusting God to do more than I can do on my own. You know, I want God to do more than bless my best laid plans. I want to live towards that day when the wolf shall lie down with the lamb and the leopard will play with the kid. I want to live towards that day when we will not hurt or destroy, but when the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. Isn't that good? I want to see more happen in this time, in this place, in this church, on this campus. I'm hungry for a fresh faithfulness. And maybe that's not where you're at these days. Maybe you just need to let the promise of Isaiah's vision wash over you, to sit in it a bit, to ask God to make it a little more real. And that's okay. You can do as St. Peter says, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. But maybe in this season of Advent, this season of anticipation, of expectant waiting, you, you are feeling called to move deeper, higher, farther into God's love. Maybe you're being invited to delight in the fear of the Lord, in God's unsettling glory, in God's disruptive grace. Maybe you're being called to walk a little more closely with the one who's called you. I don't know what that would look like for you. I don't even know exactly what it's going to look like for me, but I want to trust that it will be more, even as I trust that what God thinks is more might be different than what I think is more. One thing I've felt compelled to do is I've rearranged my office to turn it into a prayer space that I'm hoping people will join me in, uh, a space where people can grow in the knowledge of the Lord, be transformed together by the renewing of our minds. And I'm going to send out some details eventually about how I think that might work. I don't know what it would look like for you to lean more into the fear of the Lord, but maybe it's something simple. I've had a bunch of people say recently in different places and spaces that uh, they've suggested praying the Lord's Prayer, not just by saying the words we know, but by meditating on each line and rephrasing it. You know, use it as a pattern, not a prescription. Now, I wonder what would happen if we took each of us 15 minutes every day for the rest of Advent and just prayed the Lord's Prayer meditatively as a, as a, as a, a pattern, not prescription, nothing fancy. Just time spent with God, learning, as the Hebrew letter to the Hebrews puts it, to approach the throne of mercy boldly, (laughs) to just be with the one whose kingdom stretches from heaven to earth, whose glory is breathtaking. I wonder what would happen if we learned together to delight more and more in the untamable love of God, in the wild generosity of God's spirit to help us will and work for God's good pleasure. That knowledge of God that's vaster more beautiful than the sea. I think it would be quite a thing. So may it be so.